0: Gospel Enthusiast Podcast. Welcome back. I'm Braden Friesen. That's Ben Martin's. Hello. That's Derek Friesen. Hello. And uh, how you how y'all folks doing out there? Um, that's good. Good to hear.
1: Unless it's unless you're having a tough week, then then, then we yeah we empathize with you. Yeah. I was
0: gonna say just message us, but y'all just went and kind of did their own thing here, so <laughs> <laughs> that's all right. No, we're uh, we're excited to have you along with us, whoever you are um we've uh, got another um awesome episode i I found such great joy myself in uh in studying for this one. I have um kind of a fixation on on the awesome power of god and uh so talking about his omnipotence is something that brought me a lot of joy knowing that he is in control and so um we'll jump into that shortly um just before we do um last episode we did the omniscience. Of God, His all-knowingness, and uh, Ben ended up thinking of a few questions that uh, that we didn't actually end up answering on the last episode. So we'll quickly do that, get those out of the way, maybe answer some questions that that y'all had, but um, then we'll jump right into this this episode if you guys are good with that. So mm-hmm. Ben, if you want to ask those questions, we'll
1: we'll go. Just one question, actually. Uh, in Matthew 24, verse 36, Jesus says that um, that he doesn't know the time of, of uh, when the end will come, that only the Father knows. Now, if Jesus is omniscient because he and the Father are one, uh, what what does that mean for Christ? Why does he not know the day? Do you want to
0: start with that? Sure, I, yeah, I can start with that. Sure. So, um, I, I'm going to read a note that uh, I found here while I was studying this. Um, It says here, and this is from the uh, Reformation Study Bible, um, and it says, Nor the Son, although omniscient with respect to his deity, with respect to his humanity, Jesus' knowledge is both finite and changeable. Luke 2.52 says that he is still able to learn and have new wisdom. But um, it goes on to say, Mysteriously, his two natures are united in one person, yet their distinctive attributes are not mixed or confused. And that points me to another note, and I um, would like to, it's a long thing, but I'm just going to read it all, because that way it covers it all. So, um, here we go. Quote, that God the Son took upon himself a real human nature is a crucial doctrine of historic Christianity. The great, and this is the word I always kind of goof up, ecumenical council Mm -hmm. in Chalcedon, in AD 451, affirm that Jesus is truly man and truly God, and that the two natures of Christ are so united as to be without mixture, confusion, separation, or division, each nature retaining its own attributes. The true humanity of Jesus has been assaulted chiefly in two ways. The early church had to combat the heresy of Docet- docetism, mm-hmm. which taught that Jesus did not have a real physical body or, or a true human nature. They argued that Jesus only seemed to have a body, but in reality it was a phantom sort of being. Over against this, John strongly declared that those who denied that Jesus came truly in the flesh are of the Antichrist. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, it continues. The other major heresy the church rejected was the monophysite heresy. The heresy argued that Jesus did not have two natures, but one. The single nature was neither truly divine nor truly human, but a mixture of the two. It was called the theanthropos... The- Theanthropic My goodness, I can't I can't talk today. Anyways, nature. The monophysite heresy involves either a defied deified human nature or a humanized divine nature. Subtle forms of my goodness, this word just keeps popping up <laughs> subtle forms of the monophysite heresy threaten the church in every generation. The tendency is toward allowing the human nature to be swallowed up by the divine nature in such a way as to remove the real limitation of Jesus' humanity. We must distinguish between the two natures of Jesus without separating them. When Jesus hungers, for example, we see that as a manifestation of the human nature, not the divine. What is said of the divine nature or of the human nature may be, may be the affirmed of the person. On the cross, for example, Christ, the God-man, died. This, however, is not to say that God perished on the cross. Though the two natures remain united after Christ's ascension, we must still distinguish the natures regarding the mode of his presence with us. Concerning his human nature, Christ is no longer present with us. However, in his divine nature, Christ is never absent from us. Christ's humanity was like ours. He became a man for our sake. He entered into our situation to act as our redeemer. He became our substitute, taking upon himself our sins in order to suffer in our place. He also became our champion, fulfilling the law of God on our behalf. In redemption, there is a twofold exchange. Our sins are imparted to Jesus. His righteousness is imparted to us. He receives the judgment due to our imperfect humanity, while he receives the blessing due to his perfect humanity. In his humanity, Jesus had the same limitations common to all human beings, except that he was without sin. In his human nature, he was not omniscient. His knowledge, though true and accurate as far as it went, was not infinite. There were things that he did not know, such as the day and the hour of his return to earth. Of course, in his divine nature he is omniscient and his knowledge is without limit. As a human being, Jesus was <coughs> excuse me as a human being, Jesus was restricted by time and space. Like all human beings, he could not be in more than one place at the same time. He mm-hmm. sweated, he hungered, he wept. He endured pain, he was mortal, capable of suffering death. In all these respects he was like us. End quote. Yeah, it really is uh,
2: due to the the hypostatic union right that the god wa- or jesus was fully god 100% god 100% man and the danger that like that note talked about the heresies of old which are still around these days because there's nothing new under the sun mm-hmm. um the danger is to see you know jesus as 50% man and 50% humanity right like but the truth is that he was completely man and completely God, and so his two natures—you know, his his human nature was like our nature, and his divinity was like God because he is God. Um, when I was studying uh, <laughs> when I was studying on this, and uh, I came across in John Calvin's commentary on this area, this verse. <clears throat> I'm just going to read a portion of it. Quote, As to the first objection that nothing is unknown to God, the answer is easy. For we know that in Christ the two natures were united into one person in such a manner that each retained its own properties, and more especially the divine nature was in a state of repose, and did not at all exert itself whenever it was necessary that the human nature should act separately, according to what is or what was perti- peculiar to itself in discharging the office of mediator. There would be no impropriety, therefore, in saying that Christ, who knew all things, as it says in John 21, 17, was ignorant of something in respect of his perception as a man. For otherwise he could not have been liable to grief and anxiety, and could not have been like us. End quote. And so, yeah, like, obviously it's it's humanity side of Jesus that um, didn't you know couldn't foresee because like you said he was restricted in within time and space and mm-hmm. couldn't couldn't see that obviously the divinity of God and divinity of Jesus knew that because he was all-knowing yeah um, but that is the way that because you know that's the thing right we can't fully understand that's a right. tricky, full a tricky double, question Yeah, the double nature, here. right? Of, well, of, even or the getting, two natures.
1: That's right. I was to say, even just getting into the, the a hypostatic union, um, that in itself is something that's hard to understand, yeah. never mind everything else that that. Uh, yeah, Because we'll, yeah. we'll,
2: we'll you, can, you can see it in the Garden of Gethsemane as well, right? Where, you know, Jesus was burdened there mm-hmm. in praying to the Father. He was mm-hmm. burdened
0: there and grieved and... And if it's where he even prays, if it's possible, take this cup from me. Right. Right. So.
2: And so, in his humanity, like like us, from childhood up, like you mentioned, Luke two fifty two. That's the uh, you know, is talking yeah. of his childhood, but you know, in his humanity, as his as we do, he learned and grew in, in wisdom and stuff as he grew older. But in his divinity he knew all things <laughs> and didn't learn anything. He doesn't need to learn anything right
1: but so that's just one of those things. Yeah
0: so Ben, does that answer the question for you a bit or is that?
1: Yeah that uh, especially um, bringing Calvin's quote into there as well that really kind of helped uh, kind of keep things in perspective. And, and for me, I think the danger sometimes is forgetting that, that Christ is, is fully 100% God. And fully one hundred percent man, mm-hmm. and, and 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 keeping that in perspective because sometimes it's easy to remember Christ the the deity of Christ and, and and the power and knowledge that he had without remembering that he was fully human and that he suffered fully as a man, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, that that can be a, a definite danger.
0: So, if anyone's you know listening and has more questions regarding that, or or maybe some points that maybe we missed, um, we we'd love to hear them. So just shoot us a, a message either on facebook instagram or email um that way we can we can you know go kind of work through this with you um uh, because obviously we're still learning too right so um uh, with that let's uh let's switch gears what do you say good with that mm-hmm. omnipotence omnipotence of god <clears throat> so what is omnipotence derek
2: omnipotence means all-powerful
0: it does.
1: Yeah, yeah. literally the words "omnipotent" is literally all and power. Yeah, so that's the direct <laughs> translation.
0: Uh, so, thing is, well, people can say, well, obviously, you know, God is is all powerful. He created everything. Oh yeah, but there is so much more to this. And and like I said in in the intro, I I had so much so much joy reading some of the. Uh, the passages regarding God's awesome power. And then obviously we look at Genesis one and, and there's his power evident in creation through just the sound of his voice, you know, things came into being where there was a formless void, it says. And, and, um, uh, he saw that it was good. So not only does, is he all powerful, but everything he does is good. And so he, there, there's no evil within him. Like he, his power far exceeds you know the powers of darkness and and those things Mm -hmm. you know but Derek looked like you had a point so
2: yeah I I just wanted to start with a quote uh from A.W. Pink big quote guy from A.W. Pink from Attributes of God where he says quote we cannot have a right conception of God unless we think of him as all-powerful as well as all-wise he cannot he who cannot do what he will and perform all his pleasure, cannot be God. As God has a will to resolve what he deems good, so he has the power to execute his will. End quote.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So it's important that we, when we're viewing God, it is really important to see him as omnipotent because, you know, if God doesn't have the the power to do his will, then He's re- he, he wouldn't be God, right? He would just, he'd be... Weak,
0: so in a way we're talking about his control. Yeah, God has.
2: Well, yeah, his ability to do all that he says. Full yeah. control
1: of everything. Yeah, well, that brings. Oh, go ahead, Ben. Sorry, I am just gonna quickly uh, throw this in there. That Job is c- confesses that exact thing in Job forty-two, um, uh, verse two. Uh, Job says uh, regarding the Lord that I know you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Mm-hmm. So Job is recognizing the, the the power and the authority that God has over every single thing.
0: Mm-hmm. So to put this into perspective and I, when I say put this in perspective I mean kind of put in perspective because we can't fully right. wrap our minds around yeah. the control and, and awesome power of God. But... Look at a world-class athlete like Brian Shaw. He is four times world's strongest man. Um, He holds multiple records and one of the strongest men to ever walk the face of this earth. His control is extremely limited. He can control his diet, workout regimen, work ethic, and his mindset. However, he cannot control his competition, the weather, judges, or any outside conditions. As a matter of fact, the control that he has is ordained by God. This is somewhat of a crude analogy, but what it is meant to show is that God is set apart in more ways than just one. We can do nothing apart from him and his will. So ultimately what I'm trying to show here is that this control that we think we have, we um, we have control over um, our finances, our jobs, our um, how we treat people, how we, um, you know, what time we go to bed and, and you know, Multiple things. But all these things God knows and uses for His His glory and His will. Yeah, they're ordained. So ultimately, they are so minuscule. And our control is ultimately given to us. There's nothing we can do that has not been ordained by God already. Right. Mm-hmm.
2: God, God possesses all power, um, as omnipotence says, right? Uh, and any power that... So any power that has been... Get, that we have has been delegated to us mm-hmm. no creature within creation has an ounce of power outside of that which god has delegated to them um that includes the devil you know, yeah, you know to go there many yeah. many times people will see oh this battle of good and evil you know the devil's on one side god's on the other side they're both kind of pulling you in their own directions and who's gonna win type of thing but the truth is you know the devil has no power that God has not ordained. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, as Martin Luther said, the devil is God's devil to carry out God's purposes. You see that. Yep. You see this in Job. Mm-hmm. Um, That's right. Right. Yeah, in yeah. Job and uh, even he,
1: like right in the beginning of
2: Job one. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and you also see it in when you know Jesus says to Peter that uh, you know the devil has at, you know asked permission to test you or sift you like wheat or whatever right yeah so there's nothing there is no power or ability that the devil has that has not come ultimately from god god is sovereign over the devil too so
1: well if that if that kind of changed your perspective the way that that did for me when i kind of went through that like i'll talk with i don't know this maybe a year ago i don't know talking over about that and how that's not a battle between good and evil this is god uh, god uh Having dominion and authority over everything, mm-hmm. including Satan himself, that Satan does not have any of his own authority; that every all the authority that he has comes from God. Um, that was I don't know for me it was really like like give me peace about the whole thing because now I know that it's I don't have to worry about you know who's gonna win in the end. like not that I would but like you know what I mean. No, um, I I understand mm-hmm.
0: that because um, for a long time I had this idea that. Everything bad that happened was the devil. Yeah. But the devil is not like God. Just like we we are not like God. We are not in control, and neither is the devil. Everything has been ordained. You know, for a specific purpose, and so when you say it brings this tremendous amount of peace regarding like, um, you know, the things that are happening to you and around you. I can totally understand that when you when you look at God, in in light of of who He is, and I think we've talked about this before, but I think a lot of um, a lot of modern charismatic, you know, uh, progressive Christianity kind of forgets the who who God is and according to His attributes, according to what Scripture says mm-hmm. about Him. And so you get this small view of God, but once you, once the Lord opens your eyes to see Scripture and, and points to who He is and His glory and His power and His all-knowingness and, and all those things, all of a sudden you get this loftier vision of who God is. And I think your praise and your worship grows from that as well.
2: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, one of the names used for God in the Old Testament... Is El Shaddai, which is translated in, into English as uh, El is God, Shaddai Almighty. Um, and I love, I, I saw also how it was translated into Latin. Uh, and le, let me know if you hear a, a common word here, a word that sounds familiar. Uh, Deus Omnipotens. <laughs> huh.
0: I, I wonder. I heard that
2: somewhere. I wonder what they're saying there. Uh, but it translates in english as you know god almighty and it's, it's legitimately like one of the names used for him is that god is almighty right mm-hmm. um there is nothing that is impossible or too hard for god you see this in um in jeremiah 32:27 the lord the lord says behold i am the lord the god of all flesh is anything too difficult for me And that's obviously a rhetorical question. Yeah, obviously. Um, Answer being no, there is not. Uh, I came across a quote regarding this from uh, Stephen Charnock, where he says, quote, The power of God is that ability and strength whereby he can bring to pass whatever he pleases, whatever his infinite wisdom may direct, and whatever the infinite purity of his will may resolve. As holiness is the beauty of all god's attributes so power is that which gives life and action to all the perfections in the divine nature how vain would be the eternal counsels if power did did not step in to execute them without power his mercy would be, be but a feeble pity his promises an empty sound his threatenings a mere scarecrow god's power is like himself infinite eternal incomprehensible it can neither be checked, restrained, nor frustrated by the creature. End quote.
1: All right, in that in that same vein, in Numbers eleven, um, Moses is questioning God, or he's he has a, a question, I guess. Um, he does isn't understanding, and so the Lord responds to him in in verse twenty three. The Lord said to Moses, "Is the Lord's hand shortened? Now, now you shall see whether or not my word will come true for you or not." And so God is basically saying to, to Moses. Like, like you know, the the question right there, like, is is the Lord's hand shortened? It's obviously a rhetorical question, um, but uh, kind of putting Moses in his place and reminding him that um, that he is still fully capable to perform everything that he has said he will, and he will perform everything that he has said mm-hmm. he has, that he will.
2: Well, yeah, God God's power is irresistible as well. Um, no one can resist His will or the purpose His purposes. Um, all of his purposes will be accomplished. We see this multiple places in the Bible, like you mentioned there. Mm-hmm. Um, we see it in Job 42. As Is that the one? I think you brought that up earlier, didn't you? Yep. 42 verse 2, where he says, I know that you can do all things and no purpose of yours can be thwarted. We see it in Isaiah in a couple of places in 1427. Um, we see that the Lord says, for the Lord of hosts has planned and who can frustrate it? And as for his stretched out hand who can turn it back we see it in isaiah forty three thirteen. Uh, even from eternity i am he and there is no one who can deliver out of my hand i act and who can reverse it we see it in daniel 4 verse 35 all the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing but he does according to his will in the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of earth and no one can ward off his hand or say to him what have you done
0: yeah um so when we're talking about his power, it's not just, you know, his physical strength and not just his ability to create or to destroy or, you know, but it's also he is king. Mm-hmm. You know, as a king has power to judge, the king has power to um, to free people and to punish people. God has is the ultimate king He's the king of kings and, and, and he has ultimate power in authority as well and just to read psalm 47 which which i found absolutely brilliant um, i'll just read it for you here mm-hmm. clap your hands all people shout to joy with loud songs of joy for the lord the most high is to be feared a great king over all the earth he subdued people under us and nations under our feet he chose our heritage for us the pride of jacob whom he loves God has gone up with a shout, the Lord with the sound of a trumpet. Sing praises to God, sing praises. Sing praises to our king, sing praises. For God is the king of all the earth. Sing praises with a psalm. God reigns over the nations. God sits on his holy throne. The prince, or the princes of the people gather as the people of the God of Abraham. For the shields of the earth belong to God. He is highly exalted. Mm-hmm. So his power rules far more than just his uh, ability to create, Mm -hmm. you know, like like he, he didn't just stop there. And and the point that I want to, to, uh, to make here is, uh, somewhere in my papers, (laughs) at least it's there. (laughs) As it is said in, in Psalm 47, that God should be feared. Um, this fear is is reverence is what, what it's talking about is, is, um, Bowing down, it is um, respect to the Most High. Um, we are called not to fear man, but rather fear God, who can destroy both soul and body in hell. God's jurisdiction is not confined to heaven, mm-hmm. and not just confined to His people. He is in control over everything. Yeah, mm-hmm. and this isn't this isn't the power
2: that He gets from anywhere or or um, from anyone else. Obviously, God is eternal. And as such, his power is the same. Um, I go to a quote from Charles Spurgeon, where he says, quote, God's power is like himself, self-existent, self-sustained. The mightiest of men cannot add so much as a shadow of increased power to the omnipotent one. He sits on no buttressed throne and leans on no assisting arm. His court is not maintained by his courtiers. Not does it borrow its splendor. I think it meant, nor does it borrow its splendor from his creatures. He is himself the great central source and originator of all power. End quote. And so this, this quote, or sorry, this power is obviously it's, it's, it's self-existent, self-sustained. It's all within God. It come. It, it's all within God and it's, it's infinite. And we've talked about this, right? Like there's, he, he's able to do all that he pleases. And I like the way Steve Lawson had put it where he said in, the, in his uh, study series on this um, topic, he said, uh, he does everything effortlessly, not by the sweat of his brow, not by the perspiration of his forehead, but by the mere breath of his mouth. And we see this in obviously in creation. You know, God spoke into existence everything.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And you know, made, you look at all the detail and all the, everything in, um, well, in everything, like grass and animals and humans and stuff, right? All the immensity of the universe. And I look at Psalm 33, verse 6, where it says, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth, all their host. And I think we've taught, I think we've touched on, just maybe we'd touch on it a little bit, but God, how incomprehensible God's power really is. Yeah, I think we've touched I think, on I think it you in previous, previous episodes for sure. I think, I think, think. you also talk, touched on it with the analogy earlier, right? With the yeah. Brian Shaw analogy. Um, but we look at it's, take take yourself one day out outside of town, outside of a city, uh, and you know, where there's no light pollution, and just look up to the sky. And just think about the vastness of the universe. Um, in
0: and how small that we can actually see, like how little we can yeah, actually see, right. right?
2: But like just just thinking of the vastness overall of the universe. And, you know, Steve, I didn't write down the numbers and stuff, but uh, Steve Lawson had shared on the the sermon thing that or the study uh, series that I was watching um, some numbers regarding... You know that he had taken science how, how science tells us how big the universe is right like how long it would take someone to circle the entire universe going at the speed of light was immense a, a huge number of uh, years and stuff and the size of the sun and the distance like you just think about the immensity of it all right mm-hmm. and even you know even the uh Actually, before I even say that line, what I was, what my thought in my head there, I'm just going to read from Job's 26, verse 7 to 14. It says, he stretches out the north over empty space and hangs the earth on nothing. He wraps up the waters in his clouds and the cloud does not burst under them. He, he obscures the face of the full moon and spreads his cloud over it. He has inscribed a circle on the surface of the waters and a boundary of light and darkness. The pillars of heaven tremble and are amazed at his rebuke. He quieted the sea with his power, and by his understanding he shattered Rahab. By his breath the heavens are cleared, his hand has pierced the fleeting serpent. Behold, these are the fringes of his ways, and how faint a word we hear of him. But his mighty thunder, who can understand? And just like it says there, like, what we see is just a mere this is the fringes of his power mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. we can we can think about the vastness of the universe and it's just it's the bare fringes of his power and on this i just want to read a, a quote from uh, attributes of god by a w pink directly tied to that verse uh, the verses i just read where he says who is able to count all the monuments of his power Even that which is displayed of his might in the visible creation is utterly beyond our power of comprehension. Still less are we able to conceive of omnipotence itself. There is infinitely more power lodged in the nature of God than is is expressed in all his works. Parts of his ways, as the verse says, fringes of his ways, depending on the translation. uh, Parts of his ways we behold in creation providence redemption but only a little part of his might is seen in them end quote and so it's just it's such a the omnipotence is so incomprehensible and um like we can't wrap our heads around the power even the power even what we see is just a
1: mere fringe of it well and and even just uh when it it comes to just the creation aspect Uh, alone Uh, it's easy to think how you know god created the world boom and now he he used his power and now he's done using power but that's not even the case either because um in colossians uh, 1 verse 16 and 17 it says for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth visible and invisible whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities all things were created through him and for him and he is before all things and in him all things hold together um And in in congruity with that, or I think that's the right word, uh, with that last bit of the verse, uh, Hebrews 1 verse 3, um, I'm just taking part of the verse, it says, uh, he upholds uh, the universe by the word of his power. So not only did he create the world uh, by the word of his power, he sustains the world by the word of his power. And so he holds your life in his hands, like Mm -hmm. continually. So uh, every, every... every creature, every bit of creation is continually sustained by him constantly. So that like everything that exists does so because of his will.
0: Mm -hmm. You guys want to change, um, kind of just tracks here just a little bit. Let's talk about his power in salvation. God's awesome power in salvation is, is so evident and start like, Looking um, in Ezekiel 36, what I understand is the greatest miracle that is is possible. Is that how God can take a heart of stone and replace it with a heart of flesh. That he sent his son to die and it's the perfect sacrifice. How God is so powerful and God is so holy and God is... Um, all knowing it and all these things, and yet He has perfect plan and is in control of this perfect plan to redeem His people and to bring them to Himself. What are you guys' thoughts on on that in terms of power?
1: Well, like you said, it, it's like the uh, um, how how would I phrase it? But it, I know it. it when it comes to miracles, I'll it, rephrase it completely. When it comes to miracles in the Bible, um, it, it's uh, often and correctly said that the, the the greatest miracle is that God takes the, these hearts of stone and turns them into into hearts of flesh. Not just because of the, the the grandness of 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 what He is doing, but also just the the gesture of of mercy and and kindness that He's showing to us who rightfully deserve hell and, and for for him to be able to, to take our hearts of stone and change us into a heart uh, to give us hearts of flesh and to change our desires and to change um, who we are through through his power, um that is a huge uh, uh miracle or I don't even know how the how to phrase that exactly, but yeah, I one hundred percent agree.
2: Well it's it's the greatest it is, like you said, the greatest miracle. Um we look at how God takes and you know he split the Red Sea and that's astounding he um, you look at all the, the signs and wonders he did in Egypt with, with Moses and um, you know water out of a rock and all the signs and all the miracles he did for Israel uh, and, and stuff in the Old Testament and um, you just they all come short When you actually think about it, because I just look at Paul, right, as as one of the Mm -hmm. greatest examples, Mm -hmm. because the this man hated Christians. You know, he hated Christians. He was he was putting them to death. He was he was rounding them up and you know killing them and and you know God, you know, in his. Mercy and His grace, and due to all all accordance to His His great will, um, stepped into Paul's life and and changed his heart from that heart of stone, mm-hmm. and like God's one of His most adamant, I would say adamant enemies, one of Christ's most adamant enemies in that time, and He changed him to someone who no longer just didn't. You know, it wasn't no that he just stopped persecuting Christians, but he completely changed, and he was, you know, he was given a new heart, a heart mm-hmm. that loved Christ, that loved God, Christ's Church and His people, um, and that is that's the miracle that happens in all of us, well, that that God that God draws to Himself, <laughs> and you know, we as we've talked about in our Romans series. Um, as we talk about every week, tip or every episode, typically we try and, and cover it because it's the most important thing: is the gospel. And it's just you know we are the enemies to God. That's who hum. That's who we are in our in our flesh. That's who we are before you know we come to Christ before God draws us unto Himself, and the fact that you know you look at. Uh, Romans 5 where it says that while we were his enemies Christ died for us you know how much more is he going to keep us now that we're his friends the confidence we can have in that but just like we were his enemies and if anyone that's listening if you're if you're not you know if you're not found in Christ you are an enemy of God and the, just the greatest miracle. You know, it's, it's raising a dead man. We look at Jesus miracles when he was in minister doing his ministry and one of the one of the greatest ones you see there is Lazarus. 4 days dead in the tomb. Sisters saying he stinketh um, because his body's decompress decompressing decomposing is the word I'm actually going for. And Jesus calls for him to come out of the come out to walk out of the tomb and he does that's exactly what happens to that's exactly who we are as christians Mm -hmm. dead men who have been called to
1: life well i've often heard the gospel being described as as god tossing us a life raft our life ring Mm -hmm. that we grab onto but as i think it was Vodi who said it really well dead men don't swim dead men don't grab uh life rings dead men don't eat they float if that um god didn't throw you a, a life ring he jumped in and and saved you out of the sin that you're were in we're, and yeah, we were down at the bottom we were skeletons at the bottom of the bottom
2: sea. of the uh, of the and sea he yeah. reached down and grabbed us yeah. and made us li- a life a, a life alive um yeah it's it's really it's i love talking about this because it's the most important thing right mm-hmm. um when we talk about, and that comes back to, you know, God's power being irresistible, right? We, we think of irresistible grace type of thing, right? And that, you know, who he wills to be saved will be saved. Um, but that, that brings me to another point. Um, you know, God's, because God is omnipotent alongside all of his other attributes, we can bring all of our cares, anxieties, petitions to him with confidence, Um, it should give us great confidence when we declare the gospel and when we pray for unbelievers because God's will, as we said, and his purposes shall be accomplished. Um, You know, God's power is self-consistent. It's consistent in, in, and works in perfect unity and coordination with his other attributes, which is, is comforting how, you know, we talked about this last episode, right, with, is omniscience you know was it just omniscience or is it omniscience tied to the other attributes that brings comfort and the same thing would be with with omnipotence you know how terrifying <laughs> would it be to have a god who is all powerful but didn't have the other attributes like mm-hmm. it, it'd be terrifying would it not yeah yeah so <laughs> this is it's just it brings us comfort in um, knowing that god's self consistent that he cannot you know the question we me and Brain were listening to this um study series thing Brain was listening to part of it with me yesterday was that yesterday uh probably but there's Steve Lawson asked the question he said is there anything that God can't do and you know typically people are like no no there's nothing God can't do he's like well there there is God can't die you know it's kind of a trick question, right? But also the other thing is, you know, God can't lie. The Bible talks about, you know, he can, he doesn't lie, he can't lie. But God God cannot act in a way that is inconsistent with his own character, right? And that should bring us great comfort mm-hmm. because of what his character is and what his other attributes are. You know, he, his love, his mercy, his justice. Just yep. who he is brings us comfort with his omnipotence. And so I just want to have, I have one more quote. I've had a bunch of quotes today, but I have one more quote I want to add uh, again from Attributes of God by A.W. Pink. He says, quote, well, may the, well, may the saint trust such a God. He is worthy of implicit confidence. Nothing is too hard for him. If God were stinted in might and had limit to his strength, then we might well despair. But seeing that God is clothed with omnipotence, no prayer is too hard for him to answer, no need too great for him to supply, no passion too strong for him to subdue, no temptation too powerful for him to deliver from, and no misery too deep for him for Him to relieve. End quote.
1: Mm. And with all that in mind, um, knowing that God is all-powerful and just circling back to his other attributes that he's just and that he is uh omniscient he knows everything uh he he is omnipresent um we know that he is like like i said completely just to condemn all sins and that he is holy and that there's he won't um uh, allow for any sin in his presence and the only way to get to heaven is to be perfect and we're not we're we're sinful beings and so we're we've all sinned and we've all fallen short of the glory of god and and if you if you haven't repented of your sins if you're not uh saved we would uh, plead with you that you would repent of your sins and turn from your wicked ways and and follow christ and to seek forgiveness and live for him um yeah, yeah.
2: and god promises to sustain and uphold all of his own um and one thing about his power is it's inexhaustible, and, it, and he does not grow weary, and he does not grow tired like us. Mm-hmm. Um, and he is faithful, so we know that he he will fulfill all that he promises. Um, with that, we we come to the end of another episode. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, we leave you with the words that Jesus used at the opening of his ministry: "Repent." and believe in the gospel. Good night.